Welcome to Breakthrough Radio, a global business radio show where smarter strategies deliver breakthrough results by adding an entrepreneurial touch driving today's profits. Now, get ready for three powerful breakthrough segments with Michelle Price. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. This is Michelle Price here coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas today. And on Breakthrough Radio, we are celebrating 10 years of talking about how to master the internal and external strategies of business. Well, you know, at the top of every Breakthrough Radio episode, we deliver you a five-minute tip designed to help you take action right now. Today's tip is with Stuart Rogers, the Director of Marketing Technology for VentureBeat. Our featured spot today is with Dr. Patty Fletcher, the author of Disruptors, Success Strategies from Women Who Break the Mold. And our featured interview is a 30 to 35-minute conversation that's a really nice deep dive into the topic of the day to allow you to gain a much better understanding, level of knowledge, and application for your business. And then we wrap up this Monday with our Startup Spotlight with Cruzin, a startup right here in Houston. Now, the Startup Spotlight is a 10-minute segment that lets you know who and what is doing cool things in the startup arena. Our goal is to keep you informed and positioned to make a difference in your company or industry. I want to thank you for coming and listening to Breakthrough Radio. And if it's your first visit, Please make sure you thank the person who told you about us. Here's the scoop. You're going to want to listen without distraction. And that's why you only need to write down one URL today. It's www.thebreakthroughradio.com. That means that every week you have access to a blog post that gives you the frame for the conversation for that episode. That means any and everything that we might talk about today something we might reference to as a resource, we link to it there. So whether you're looking for ways to reach Stuart, Patty, Gordon, or myself, make sure you do visit and connect with each one of us. Do more than follow. Reach out and truly connect. Ask us a question. Engage us in conversation. And of course, when it makes sense for your business, hire us. So let's find out what tools we want to make sure that um, we test and use for our content marketing in 2018 with Stuart Rogers. And you got to love it when the switchboard moves everything around after you put it in place so you can find it easily. Give me one second here. Live radio at its best. For some reason, you know, because Stuart travels the world, uh, some really ridiculous travel schedule. We pre-recorded his piece. I just moved it to the very top, and it has disappeared from my switchboard. So let's see what's going on here. Boy, it's already been an interesting day of technology here in the world. Well, that's interesting and fascinating. <laughs> this is the first. I've never had something <laughs> disappear like that. Hmm. I'm scrolling carefully, trying to talk at the same time I'm reading to you. <laughs> and la, la, la. Let's see. Nope, that's June. That's December. 
Well, that's a fascinating thing to have happen. Well, here's what I'm going to do, guys. I'm going to scroll down to one of Stuart's other tips that he's delivered us before. And then what I will do after the radio show goes off the air today is I will edit that out and put in the correct day (laughs) so that you'll have access to the content that you were looking for. So right now I am looking for something that Stuart has given us that's at least close to the time frame that we have to share with you. Okay, let's see what he had to say back in December 2017. Well, I know in the startup world, there has been a lot of conversation around the topic of blockchain. As a matter of fact, you know, Stuart, we just had what we call a transatlantic fireside chat at uh, Houston Startup Grind where we were listening to an Israeli entrepreneur who has a Switzerland startup who's doing some amazing things in uh, the cryptocurrency space with the base of blockchain uh, in, in what, they're go- what, what they're producing. So what does blockchain offer us when we think about it from a marketing and, and, and technology perspective in marketing? Yeah, thank you. Um, blockchain is, is really the word that everybody is, is pushing out there right now. It's the one thing that everyone's talking about right now. And it is really quite incredible. Uh, blockchain has the capability and, and to really, truly disrupt things for the first time in a long time. Um, you know, I, like, I know we like to think we're all very disruptive. I know we like to think that we're all very innovative. But yeah, actually, there hasn't been a huge amount of innovation either in uh, the gadget world or the technology world in general, um, and certainly not in sales and marketing for some time. And yet blockchain has come along and blockchain technology, um, which underpins all of the cryptocurrencies, of course, things like uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum and Litecoin and so on and so forth, um, actually has a huge amount of implications as far as marketing technology is concerned. Um, and even things like, you know, how we're going to pay for goods in the future, um, and things like how we're going to fund our projects in the future. Um, you know, what I think would be a great idea is just like to, to give it a little bit of a flavor of what blockchain is and, and what it does and why it's important. Um, and, you know, talking about it from a marketing technology standpoint, it's really, really interesting. I'm, I'm sure most of the people who listen to this, uh, you know, if you haven't already seen it um, at least once in your, uh, in your careers, I'm, I'm sure... Uh, you can very easily find it. In fact, we we'll put it in the show notes. But you know, Scott Brinker um, has worked on the uh, the marketing technology landscape for uh, for a long time now, many many years, and it just keeps on blowing up. It keeps on doubling and doubling and doubling. It's it's up to you know six thousand products at this point in time, and it could easily be eight and a half thousand products, uh, you know, right now. Um, and what was kind of interesting is earlier this year, back in September, Jeremy Epstein. Uh, did a really nice thing. He mapped out what the blockchain marketing technology landscape looks like within the context of the same categories and groupings that Scott Brinker uses. And, you know, I wrote the article on on that. In in fact, we'll stick that in the show notes for you as well. And what you'll notice is that there's a lot of white space. We really haven't even got started with blockchain technologies and marketing technology yet. But you'll notice some little pockets, some little areas where it makes sense. And one of the areas is 
advertising technology. You see, we have this huge mobile advertising problem, um, massive amounts of fraud, huge amounts of fraud. And how can we deal with that? How can we fix that and solve that? Well, one way is to use blockchain technology, and that's because blockchain is really a transparent ledger. It's really uh, basically me saying, um, I know what you're doing, and you know that I know that you know what you're doing, right? It's kind of everything is transparent. Everything is in a ledger. We know what's going on. So therefore, it's really, really hard to have anything approaching the sort of mobile ad fraud problem that we have right now because it's all completely transparent. We can see what's going on at all times. And, and so blockchain technology lends itself very, very nicely to advertising technology in particular. That's why you'll find that right now there are 12 blockchain technology-powered ad tech solutions. Each one of those is vying for its opportunity to become the winner in that particular category. Um, what's kind of interesting about blockchain technology is it's, it's almost uh, creating standards. Uh, so when I say that we have 12 advertising technology solutions sitting in that uh, category right now, um, it's not going to be like Scott Brinker's original graphic where it's going to just double and double and double every year. What will happen more than likely is that one, two, or three of these solutions will be determined as the winner by the consumers and, and the users themselves. And we'll end up all using that one, two, or three in, in each category. Because you know, once you've got one uh, that works and everybody agrees it's the best solution, you don't really need any more in each category. So we're going to see that. We're going to see um, marketing technologies powered by blockchain um, that won't explode the same way as the rest of the marketing technology world. Um, and that offer the kind of transparency, um, that offer the kind of uh, you know, ledger that's there, but basically allows us to make sure that we're doing everything above board and that everybody knows exactly what's going on. Um, you know, and some practical examples of that. Um, there's a company called Colu, and what Colu are doing is they're using blockchain technologies to change the way that we pay for goods, for example. Um, and, you know, the way that they do that is, is allow for this uh, digital wallet app that uh, allows local economies to you know, basically have their own currency. Um, that's really nice because it means that people can invest in local businesses uh, people can support their, their local business with, you know, in a particular way and use uh, the, uh, the blockchain technology to basically invest in and then pay for um, the people that care they care about in their local area. It's a, it's a really nice idea, um, and it basically allows regions to effectively kickstart their, uh, their, own, their own region. Um, you know, it's a really smart idea in terms of how to change the way that we, we pay for things. And that's something that, you know, marketers and, and everybody else need to sort of keep a, a, an idea, you know, an eye on it and, you know, really understand what's going on in the payment space with, uh, with blockchain and uh, with, um, you know, the cryptocurrencies in, in general. Um, you know, another thing that, that blockchain is opening up is the capability of, of raising funds. When you do an ICO, which is the initial coin offering, um, that is effectively just a way of crowdsourcing funding. Um, but then there are other platforms like Thunderbeam, which is kind of like a stock exchange, but that allows you to list your startup on their exchange, and then people can invest in you. And that's another way for companies to raise funds um, via a blockchain technology solution. 
So, you know, blockchain is changing everything from the way that we raise funds to the way that we pay for goods and services um, to the way that we actually run our marketing technologies because of the transparency of it. Um, you know, if you're not already looking at blockchain and learning about it and understanding it, um, now would be the time to get involved because it really is going to disrupt everything. And uh, I can see a, an amazing future ahead uh, for blockchain technologies in sales, in marketing, in payments, in funding, and in every other part of uh, the way that we go about our daily lives right now. Yeah, I really love the transparency of it. So it will be interesting to see how people choose to uh, plug it in with what they do. Thank you, Stuart. No, thank you. Um, always great to be here. Well, in our last featured episode, we talked with Sharna Goldseeker and Michael Moody, the authors of Generation Impact. And, you know, there are significant groups revolutionizing how they participate in both the business and the nonprofit world. Now, a company that's been instrumental in revolutionizing both business and giving is Ford. How will you follow Ford's lead and be more strategic in how you create value for your internal and external customers as well as your nonprofit donors? Expectations have changed, and that means that you need to find new ways to change with them. You know, one of those changes is the game of buying for business, no matter what industry you sit. And it's why having a buyer journey map has become mandatory if you want to succeed and grow. And this is exactly what GrowthHackingCMO.com does with their clients when they're approached and ask for help to grow businesses and revenues. You know, Growth Hacking CMO are masters at crafting that roadmap and it's showing clients how to structure their execution with precision. Defining what's important to your customers today and using analytics to see how they are making their buying decisions is the savvy way to prepare for their future needs and for you to stay relevant. And when you know what's valuable to your customer, you can use that to capture their attention and have it be welcomed. Whether you have 10 or 10,000 customers, your buyer journey that saves you time, money, and headaches. It's the sweet spot in business, one that can help you generate profits and gain traction. Make sure you do connect with growthhackingcmo.com and find out how they can help you do that in 2018. Now, before we start our featured interview, remember we appreciate it when you share today's show by going to www.thebreakthroughradio.com. Well, you know, it is time for us to shift into that featured interview, and I have to tell you, I have been waiting for this conversation for a really long time. I'm really excited about it. So let me tell you just a tiny bit about Dr. Patty Fletcher. You know, she is a leading advocate for women in the business leadership and technology and an authority on how to create a culture of inclusion to drive results. Recognized as a futurist and gender equity advocate, she advises corporate executives and board members from lean startups to Fortune 100s, from small community organizations to large global nonprofits. So please join me as we heartily welcome Dr. Patty Fletcher to Breakthrough Radio today. How are you doing today, Patty? I am fantastic, Michelle. How are you? I am thrilled. I have finally <laughs> found someone like you. <laughs> so I have un- to say, unexpected I love your intro. <laughs> <laughs> you are more than welcome. You should see how I have voraciously read, taken notes, dog ear, turn down pages of your book, Disruptor. 
Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. That's excellent. And that's exactly how I envisioned and hoped that the book would be read and used, right? Just learning, um, hopefully enjoying it as well, but getting some ideas and some new mindsets and, and ways of thinking where you realize you really don't have to give up who you are in order to succeed as a woman in what's still the man's world of business. Well, you know, one of the things that really struck me, Patty, is, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting dialogue that's going on around us mm-hmm. that has to do with gender. And, you know, because I wa- have watched people's behavior for so long as both a, you know, leadership consultant and speaker and then as a, as a fractional CMO, I mean, that, that's, that's the bane of everything that, that has to happen is watching people's behavior and understanding it. And the thing that, that um, I'm really wondering where we are in this particular time, you know, in present time, how things have finally led up to what feels like, looks like, sounds like, is finally a shift in people's thinking as well as their behaviors, and of course, I hope that's going to drive some really phenomenal results for us to like move forward in a really meaningful way. So, my first question to you in our conversation today is: What kind of things are you seeing changing, either in just daily conversations with people, or in their behaviors that are going to allow us to finally? feel and see and experience change in this area? It is such a good question, right, because you're talking about tipping points, what's going to get us to that next phase, move that needle. I've been on this topic for a really long time, the topic of of gender equity, and before I, I continue on that, I do have to say, when we're talking about gender in the workforce, we have to be careful not to say, of course, all men are like this and all women are like that, right? There are male traits and female traits, and most of us possess both of them. Um, And some of us, perhaps like you and I, as females, we possess more of the female trait. So it's important that that we're not generalizing here. Um, In terms of of what I've seen, over the last few years, I've been fortunate enough to work with SAP, um, the largest enterprise software company in the world, where companies use their software to run their businesses, the full gamut. And we've been focused in on their HR product and infusing the ability to detect, prevent, um, and hopefully eradicate unconscious bias. And and over that time, I was talking to a lot of male um, executives, which typically was hard to do before. They didn't want to talk about it. It was uncomfortable. It was, you know, item number 105 on a list of top 100 things that they cared about. And so I'm talking with them, and what was so fascinating was, about a year and a half ago, I started noticing that instead of why is this important, it's how do we make this happen? How do we incorporate a culture of inclusion, a culture of and instead of or? And I loved that, right, because we're not arguing about does this make sense, does it not? We're trying to figure all of the out things out around how do we maximize this workforce that's incredibly diverse. I'm, I'm sure you know, and I'm sure you read about it in the book, where more than 50%, at least in this country, more than 50% of the workforce are women. There'll be no one race in the majority by 2045, but we're incredibly diverse, five generations in the workforce. So the culture of inclusion is more than gender. 
it's all those other populations. And as business leaders, they're looking at that talent pool. They understand that truly people are the ones that differentiate them, and they're trying to figure out how do we get all of that talent in our the, the structure of our business and be able to maximize that because they haven't been successful. They've, they're starting to look at their data. They're seeing women leaving at two times, three times the rate of men. They're seeing that, that director level, that kind of middle manager level where the glass ceiling is. So that's number one, Num so those conversations changing with, with some male executives. Number two is around what we've all seen over the last 18 months. Women were very afraid before the last 18 months to come forward and say, these things have happened to me, whether it's sexual harassment, sexual discrimination, or, or something much, much worse. And now we're seeing them come forward. They were afraid before because they were blamed. They were the ones who had to leave the company. They were the ones who were, were blamed. They were doubted. And now what we've seen is a real shift in that. I can't help but think about Ellen Powell's case against Kleiner Perkins a few years ago where there was clear sexual discrimination in its infrastructure, clear um, sexual harassment to her, and yet she lost the case. It was crazy. And what we're seeing now is women coming together. She was like the lone soldier, and, you know, some of us got behind her, but women coming together by the millions, women who don't know each other, women in the same location, and they are taking their collective voice, that powerful collective voice to say, this is wrong. The final piece that I'm really excited about, and it's, it's the culmination of those two, is that we finally understand that when it comes to women in the workforce, and the women I write about are disruptors, the people who see a status quo, it no longer works, and they want to blow it up and change it, 75% of those kinds of initiatives fail. If you're a woman, the odds are even more stacked against you. And so what we're seeing now is we're looking at this, we're going, wow, wait a minute. When it comes to breaking status quo, we have to look at the system, and we look at the system, and we see that there is, in fact, unconscious bias in the system. Let's stop training women to negotiate like men. Let's stop telling women to network like men. Let's stop telling women to lean in, because if they leaned in anymore, their faces would hit the ground. Let's stop blaming and shaming men and instead say, what is going on in our system, what status quo are in place that allowed this kind of bad behavior to happen, that allows pay inequity. And those three together, is, I think they're just going to continue to snowball. I, I do have to say, and I don't address it in my book, that some people do wonder, would we have accelerated to this tipping point if the election turned out different? We'll never know, but chances are probably not. I think people just got angry enough and worried enough that their voices wouldn't be heard and the progress that they had made would somehow be diminished. You know, I love how you brought that up. We won't go down uh, a, a political rabbit hole today, but I have a lot of friends who, uh, and colleagues that we've had the conversation of there's, while it's painful, there's a lot of value in what you don't want showing up really boldly in the world, whether it's your world or the general world, because it tends to coalesce people and it's a good kick in the seat of the pants. <laughs> you got it, Michelle. I mean, you and I have been in the business world, right, for, for a, a bit now. And, um, and what do we know? 
we know that leaders put money and power behind something after it fails, right? We know that. That's the best way to get some attention. And this is a failing system. Whether, regardless of what one's beliefs is, everyone agrees on that. This system is failing. It doesn't make sense. We have to change it. And that first stage of change, of transformation, is incredibly painful. We're going to look back at this time and go, wow, right, this point in history, look at this tipping point. Living through it is incredibly different and difficult. But when you're messing with status quo, and that's what we're doing right now, unfortunately, when you are messing with someone's status quo, those people might be thriving in that system, right? And that's, it's very difficult to go up to someone and say, I'm going to change everything about the world you're living in. But it's no offense, right? It's, it's nothing personal. That's very difficult. None of us like that. That's what happened to us a year and a half ago, those, those of us who um, <clears throat> were impacted by the elections. And, and looking at that and even looking at business and at that same kind of thing, where we have to understand and use empathy, and yes, we can use empathy to understand the other side's perspective and take that empathy and create a plan for change. It's not going to be pretty. It's going to be pretty ugly. It's going to be lots of squiggly lines backwards and forwards, but we have so much to learn, and I am confident that when we look back, we will see this as a tipping point. Well, you know, the interesting thing to me, Patty, is that entrepreneurs are, in my opinion, the ones, and, and I'm not sure what's going on on your end, but I'm hearing a lot of, of feedback because the microphones are really strong. So sometimes okay. uh, earrings against phones or anything that's going on in the background can really uh, show up loud on the show. Um, what I've noticed is entrepreneurs tend to take a really different approach than people who are in the traditional corporate business world. Um, <laughs> we just we're, we're we're natural born disruptors, and so it's kind of nice to see that the the two are a little more in parallel as far as action right now. But the thing that I find really interesting, and I've not heard anyone really discuss uh, very much, is that you you brought up how women are leaving in huge rates, and usually what we hear that follows that are statistics of how women are going into business for themselves. At, at these really large numbers. And frankly, I'm going to say I don't think that's the answer because as much as everyone thinks that there's a huge freedom in you being in business for yourself and now you don't have to, quote, deal with um, gender inequity, that's a, that's a load of bullshit because that <laughs> bias is still there. Those decision makers haven't changed you just have an opportunity to have a different kind of conversation with them. doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. And so my question to you is how can listeners who are uh, women in business learn different ways to um, affect a more positive change in a business environment in a business environment where those those biases are still there and it's still affecting the results. Right, right. And it's it's such a good question. I just do want to say something. First of all, I apologize for my, my dog in the background. We seem to be getting deliveries that she's not thrilled about. Um so the 
the women do leave, right, at twice the rate, three times the rate. They start businesses at six times the rate of men, but their problems don't go away. Women only receive 2% of external funding, venture funding for their businesses. Let that sink in, right? That system's even more um, induced with, with bias. That's a problem. So what can women do? We're starting to see that. First, they're saying, I can't impact this world. The World Economic Forum tells me that parity among the genders will not be realized for another 150 years. 150 oh. years. Why am I going to beat my head against a wall? Let's go create our own reality. And it's interesting, Pamela Reichman, one of my friends, wrote Stiletto Network a few years ago, and she talked about this. She has interviewed a bunch of women, some of whom I interviewed as well, from the Silicon Valley. They're, they're the, the money makers out there, the power women. And they've created these networking circles where they come together, they pool their money, they pool their, their capital, their social capital, they pool their time, their experience, all of that. And they create opportunities for their fellow female disruptors to succeed. They're creating their own realities. That's one approach. And there are more high net worth um, women now than there ever were. So there's some power behind that. The next thing that I'd love to see women do, and, and Pat Milligan talks about it in the book, and Pat is the, um, the head of the Women Thrive Research. She talks about and runs this topic for the World Economic Forum. And she was talking about how she went into this group of, of Stanford students, these women. And these are, you know, the cream of the crop. There's a, a bus out front and, and wanting them to, to go hire them in, in multiple locations around the globe, right? And so she goes in and she talks with them and she asks them, how many of you, when you've gone for your job interviews, have you looked at the hiring manager, looked at HR and said, what are you going to do to ensure that I am paid equally to my male counterparts? What are you going to do to ensure that my career aspirations are supported such just like they are with my male counterparts. And not one of those women raised their hands. And I've seen her ask this question to other audiences since then. And maybe if you're lucky, one woman has raised her hand to one of the questions. And the reason they're not doing it is they're worried about not getting the job. Going back to the fact that our unemployment rate is incredibly low, this really is a talent market. And these companies who are looking to hire with their 85 million open job recs, they need you more than you need them. So for women to remember that they hold power, no one needs to empower them. They hold it. We decide where we work. We decide to invest where we want to invest. And then another piece is really being able to, to understand that the things that are happening in business where you do get passed over for a promotion or you're not getting paid what you think your worth is, not to internalize that. I see that far too often where women start to doubt themselves. Lisa Ling talks about it in the foreword to the book about how after a stellar season for her series, she was offered just one more um, year. She found out that her two male colleagues who I, whose shows either performed the same as hers or a little bit less were offered a two-year contract. 
And she went in with all the information, no blaming and shaming, and just wanted to know what was going on. But through that whole process, she was blaming herself. Why can't I be happy with what I want? Um, you know, why, why do I have to push the button here? And kind of going back and forth until she finally asked herself, what would I tell my daughter to do? Of course, I'd stick up for myself. So a few lessons from her story that we can all learn from and apply as we're out in the world, in the corporate world, is one, gather the facts about what impact the role that you hold is supposed to have and what impact you made. Have the facts around what is a typical salary in your industry. In some states now, you can talk openly about the money that you make and not get fired for it, so find out if you can do that and, and start asking. And then finally, remember to neutralize. This is not your fault, it's not about you, and until you neutralize, you will not be able to look at the right data. You'll be focusing in on the wrong things, and you will be working twice as hard to get half of what you are worth. And so the number one thing there is own your power. Don't be afraid. There's truly nothing to lose. I love how you use the word neutralize. Um, it really is important. A, a lot of times people don't recognize when you go into something with uh, an emotional charge on it, Everybody can feel it, sense it, even if they don't articulate it, and it definitely doesn't work in our favor. And so that's one of the things that I would tell, whether it's female entrepreneurs or female employees that are listening today, you know, that's that's the power of, of having those real conversations with uh, the people that you trust in your world. So speaking of powerful conversations, you know, we talk about women and what they need to do but my question that I think needs to be addressed more is what can the men who recognize and see this do to help so that everything's not on our back? You know, it re it reminds me of what happens across the board, whether it's how women are treated in business, whether it's how guys behave around women when sexual harassment happens. It, yeah. It's not just our journey. It's their journey, too. And some men are becoming more comfortable in speaking up in that really emotionally charged area of sexual harassment. But I'm thinking that there's a huge opportunity that's being missed just in gender inequity that's not happening in those conversations. We see, oh, what's the word I want to use? We'll see a blue whale come out of the ocean once in a while and stand up for women, whether it's in a meeting or, you know, in, in some kind of public place, but it doesn't happen enough. It's absolutely true. I love this question, Michelle, and thank you for bringing it up. It's so important. The, the first thing, I, it, it's really interesting. A um, few of the, the folks in the book and I, especially Tanya Odom, who uh, works with the UN, works with large tech, she's, she's a real freedom fighter. Um, and, and somebody who has dedicated her life to equity. And she and I were talking about how we've seen over the last, let's say, month and a half, requests from male um, executives and those who work with them saying, this male executive was accused of whatever he was accused of, not a fireable offense, but not the kind of behavior the company would want against a woman. And he wants to know how to deal with that. What do we do? And not in a PR way, but in an actual, I want me to change my behavior way. I thought that's amazing. That's wonderful. 
And that's a sign, and I love it, but the truth is you are absolutely right. Men are very uncomfortable with this topic and don't really know what to do beyond what Reed Hoffman did a few months ago when he <clears throat> put on, I think it was LinkedIn, have all these executive sign a decency pledge, which just killed me. Are you kidding me? I have to sign something to say I'll be a decent human being? Give me a break. Um, so first thing is <laughs> women do, and yeah, it just drives me crazy, women Women, as well as men, do need to understand exactly what you said. This is a human challenge, not a challenge that women have to solve. Why? Because right now, all the best and available talent is not being hardest. Parody, end of story. If I hear one more man say I'd hire more women, but I can't find them, I will punch them in the face. We're just not doing the right things to attract the women, and we're not going into the right rooms to find them. So that's number one. The second thing is for women, we do have a responsibility to go to the men who are influencers, power players, and say, we need you at the table. We need you at this discussion table, and we've made room for you. Because they're not hearing that right now, and they're afraid to enter conversations without saying, hey, I'm going to write a really nice blog, or I'm going to speak out and say that's not great the way women are treated, or I'm going to offer to write up a decency pledge. Those things are really not great, right? They are just reactions, not even responses. The next thing that we really need help with with men, and this is where it gets difficult, is going back to the fact that everything you and I are seeing and everybody else is seeing now where so much is blowing up, so many accusations of sexual harassment, which people, of course, start to tune out. Um, We see finally women are being listened to, victims overall, men or women, are being listened to. We see, again, blogs where people say, I'm really sorry. We see tweets of support. But what we're not seeing is a fundamental shift in the policies, the values, those things that are going to continue to enable this to happen. Right now, men are in charge. They are. They make all of the decisions around where money is invested, not where it's spent from a consumer perspective, but where it's invested. They make decisions about how business is set up, what the determinants of success are, and who gets access to be able to fulfill those. So my ask of men would be, number one, of course, visibly show your support. That's number one. Why? Not just so women can go, wonderful, we have someone on our side, because Other men will listen to other men, just like other women will listen to other women. It's really important that they role model that. The second piece is to be able to share their stories. I used to think like this, and then I realized that there are 150 different unconscious biases that play at my brain at any given time. I didn't realize, as Lisa Ling talked about when she went to her boss and said, hey, what's going on? And his response was, I had no idea I did that. Usually, it truly is unconscious. Lots of people are doubting that. But there are so many kind of rote decisions that men are making. And to be able to listen and have it called out to you and respond in that way of, this is wrong. Not only am I going to fix your particular problem to the person I'm talking to in front of me, I'm going to go back to the system and find out why it happened in the first place. When we look at those critical decision points where those unconscious biases make the most impact things around um, who applies to our company, who do we hire, how do we develop people, who gets compensated with what, um, who gets promoted, how people are developed, all of those things that are a very, very big deal and things that leaders practice every single day and are the very reasons women leave the workforce. 
for men to be able to look at those and go, how are we doing it and what are the results that we're getting? We're not getting the results we want, let's fix them. And again, it's important to have them as an and in this conversation because they're the ones we need to help us actually change the rules of the game. And one more thing, Michelle, one more guy tells you and I that this matters because he has a daughter, (laughs) that's not acceptable anymore. (laughs) So there's two more things I want to ask, but I'm really getting close to the the time that we have to talk. So let's see um, how we can do this in the next three minutes. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask our uh, question that we ask every guest that that comes on the radio show because if I don't, Lou in New York will get really upset with me. She she's called me out <laughs> twice in two in the ten years that she's been a listener, and and I've never forgotten after that. Um, <laughs> and so it, it has nothing to do with your area of expression that allows people to just know a little bit more about you, Patty the human, um, and some <laughs> things that that might be important to you. We call it our brain download question. Because, you know, a, a little bit of fun of how the question even surfaced for the radio show was, you know, one Saturday I was watching Star Trek and Spock was doing his thing with his mind mouth. And, and I know none of our listeners ever talked back to the TV, but I talked back to the TV and I said, I don't really care to see everything that's happened in his life from the beginning to the end. But if you can tell me why that mofo made that decision in that moment, <laughs> then I want to understand that. I want to understand why they made that choice and that decision. And as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. What if we had the opportunity to have just a slice of, of a mind melt, just, you know, a little brain download instead of anybody that we wanted to, where we can understand how they made their choices and their decisions. So, Patty, if you could have a brain download like that with anyone, whether it's from the past, the present, or the future, who would you want to understand how they made their choices and their decisions? Oh, that is such a good question, Lou and Michelle. Um, let me see. Who would I want to talk to? Well, you know, this is going to sound cliche, but I don't care. Martin Luther King, and yes, today we're celebrating his birthday, but the reason I would want to have him download is The fight that I've been fighting for the last 15 years has been incredibly difficult, right? You saw it in the book, boot on stage, death threats, the whole thing. That is nothing compared to the fight that Martin Luther King led. I want to know, one, what was he thinking? Two, how did he keep going? How did he know how to, who to engage? I, I just want to know everything about not only his decision-making, his mindset, how he made decisions, but what he decided to do in order to make the most impact when the world truly was against him. And there's so much. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, one of the things that I had wanted to ask you, and we we can't do too much of a deep dive on this. I apologize. Mm -hmm. Our time is limited today, but I think it would be a great place that allows listeners to understand maybe the importance of picking up a copy of disruptors. And that is, which of the stories of uh, the women that shared them with you and you interviewed and you put in disruptors, which one really had the most profound effect on you personally? I know they all are important, but each of us has our own personal triggers that really like, okay, we resonate with that. 
Yeah, you know, and you're right. They all are special, right? They're all my children. But I, I would say that the one that had the biggest impact on me is Anula's story. Anula's story is the one where it's from pariah to pioneer. She's a double PhD, double MD, MBA, Harvard, Georgetown, Cambridge, right? You name it. And by the way, she's the most humble person in the world, and you'd never know it. Um, and she went into medicine, right? Well, she she um, was educated in medicine, but decided to go on the business side. She was one of the earliest people to bring business and medical world together. And today, she manages hundreds of millions of dollars in investment money. Her entire life were people very angry with her, telling her she was wrong, telling her she was crazy. She lost friends. Her family was against it, everybody. And she knew it was the right thing to do. And now she's getting vindicated, not, you know, personally, you're wonderful, but vindicated in seeing the investments, not only in, in from the business world to the medical world, which has been huge and amazing, but to women's health, another area that was largely underfunded. And I can't help but be inspired by this woman who has brown skin, who comes from a different country, who not only she had cultural challenges from her own family, but the challenges around her by very old male, stale and pale, um, Silicon Valley and, and the people typically in the industry she's in. I couldn't help but be inspired to see all she overcame and how she is so eloquent and humble and bringing so many of us truly a all buys, all boats rise when we lift the tide story. Oh, thank you so much for giving everybody that that push to go read and learn the rest of, of her story. It definitely was a special one. Well, Patty, I want to thank you for coming on Breakthrough Radio today. I want to personally thank you for writing Disruptors. I, I wish it had been around earlier, but we will take it now and we will run with it. Oh, Michelle, thank you so much. So one of the things I want to remind everybody today as we shift in from our, our featured interview with Dr. Patty Fletcher into our next segment is to remember that, you know, our goal here every Monday live on Breakthrough Radio is to help equip you with what you need to master both the internal and the external strategies in business. And obviously that topic that we just talked about with Dr. Patty Fletcher touches both of those. So, you know, here's a question for you. Have you visited and participated in a Startup Grind fireside chat yet? You know, I want to encourage you to reach out and find out what's happening in your city or country with Startup Grind. You're going to find a group of enthusiastic entrepreneurs and investors who are looking to create profitable business and affect positive change in the world. Matter of fact, if you are in Houston, February 13th and 14th, you will have the opportunity to watch the live stream from Startup Grind Global and to meet fascinating startups and entrepreneurs at our new home, The Canon. So, you know, just make it happen, guys. I, I get it that we are all busy and there's things that are important to us personally and business-wise in our world. But I can tell you, and, you and, and, you know, I'll make a point of going out and, and sharing some of the messages of, of your uh, colleagues and the profound effect it's had on them to be able to connect with a global organization like Startup Glenn because it gives you that footprint around the world as well as some really phenomenal local support right next to you. So I cannot tell you uh, anymore how important it is. Go check it out in your city or your country. 
Well, now it's time for us to bring on Gordon Taylor, the co-founder and the CEO of Cruisin right here in Houston. You know, Cruisin is a travel application that allows travelers to sell and book seats while cruising to long-distance destinations. So you guys, please join me as we welcome Gordon to Breakthrough Radio. How are you doing today, Gordon? Good. How are you doing today? You know, I am glad that whatever that snow ice thing that could have happened last night did not happen. <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. And now it's a beautiful day here in Houston. <laughs> it is. Sweet. It's sunshiny, beautiful, clear skies. And, and I'm looking forward to when the show's over going and, and, and actually sitting down and creating a video with another female entrepreneur here in Houston. So, you know, one of the reasons that we have the startup spotlight uh, every month is because, you know, my goal as not just the chapter director here of Startup Grind in Houston, but that collective family of chapter directors all around the world is I'm constantly looking for ways to help the rest of the business world understand and see what's happening in the startup space. And you guys are doing some pretty phenomenal stuff in the startup space. So first question I want to ask you, Gordon, is what was the impetus? What 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 was the you know, what allowed cruising to be birthed? I mean, you know, did you just wake up one day and go Boom, Eureka! I have an idea. Was it something that someone <laughs> said to you, and then, then that Eureka moment happened? But what was it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the biggest thing is is that I I I would love I would have loved for it to happen like that, but truly it was a it was a pain point and a problem um, that I've probably experienced for the last um, call it five years. Um, so I've lived in Africa, New York, Chicago, um, and now back here in Texas. And haven't had a car, right? And so uh, one day I was um, driving from Chicago to Houston to to drive some stuff back. At the time, I was in business school in Chicago and and uh, just wanted to get some stuff home. And so took that 18-hour drive. I ran a really expensive rental car and tried to do it in a day. And I just remember it being actually MLK weekend uh, two years ago. Um, and really tons of people were on the roads traveling by themselves. And I was like, I wonder if there's a way that we could have shared costs with somebody that was going down my journey or along my journey. And, um, you know, I could have at least, you know, made some money back on the gas wear and tear and also the rental car costs. Um, and so that's, you know, Eureka happened, I guess. And, you know, um, cruising was born at that point. And so went back to business school and started the company, um, cruising. And so now we're two years later and, uh, focused on trying to, uh, scale our, scale our company. All right, so you gave them the, the the beginning of where the idea came from. Now explain a little bit about what cruising is and what are the benefits of it. Just kind of put us in the, the driver's seat sure. for a moment so that we can see <laughs> what it looks like for all parties involved. Sure. Um, so at, at a very high level, cruising is a, uh, is a travel app that um, allows for long distance travelers to um to share or sorry to sell or to book seats in the um in someone's car that's going a longer journey so for instance if i'm going from houston to call it new orleans and i have three empty seats in my car you can sell those seats on our platform people that are going from either houston to new orleans or houston to baton rouge or anywhere along that path can actually book those seats and get very efficient travel, um, you know, cost and also, um, you know, just any type of travel. Um, and it really allows for the users to 
um, be competitive with buses, but get more of a comfortable feeling of being in your own car, but you don't have to drive. And then on the driver's side or the car provider, we'd say, is that, you know, you don't have to pay for your gas. You get a little bit more of a premium for, you know, offering your car up. And truly, you get the company of someone in your car that is most likely like you um, because we have a social element where we want to be able to um, link you with someone that is pretty much like yourself. Um, and so that's what we have been working on. And right now, we're mainly in universities, but we've been scaling to some cities in the Texas area just recently. Well, and I love how you brought up a good door for the next question that's going to happen in anyone's mind is the logical response, and that is, okay, so I put my car seats, car seats, well, not not for kids, but, you know, the seats in my car up. I'm going to be traveling, mm-hmm. with, let's say, um, I'm actually going to pick on something I'm thinking about using Cruiser for. I'm going to be traveling from, from Houston uh, to California for uh, something that I want to do out there, and I want my car. This is one of those situations where it doesn't make sense for me to fly because there's something I want to do with my car in that state. So sure. if I want to do that, how do, I, how do I know that the people who raise their hands and potentially want to rent my seats in my car are people that I would, one, feel safe with, and, two, I'd want to spend that long with them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Um, so two, it's a twofold question for us. Um, we do run background checks on everyone. Um, so on on our side, we call it general population. Uh, we allow for, you know, there to be an element as soon as you log in that's your background check so we know if you're on the sex offender list, if you have any criminal um, marks against your name, um, your driver's history, your driver's license, and tons of other information about you. So we're able to exclude um, um, based on some of those parameters. And then second, someone that you may be comfortable with, right? You don't want to get stuck in, the, in the, for instance, in an airport with someone for six, seven hours on a canceled flight that you don't like. And it's the same thing with the car or when you're road tripping. And so we really base it off of your interests and also your music choice. Um, we, we realize that Music is a universal language, something that a lot of individuals, you know, share in common, no matter, you know, where you're from. You could be from India or, you know, here in the U.S., but if you like the same music, more likely that's a great conversational starter. Um, And so we base it on interests like that, um, musical interests, um, things that you have hobbies. So, again, it's back to that social element that, you know, you want to be around someone that is someone like yourself, but you can share something with. And it's really, that's the shared economy space and the shared experience space that we want to create in a cruise and a ride. So one of the questions that a lot of times people don't think about when we're talking with startups, so this is more to help kind of illuminate how listeners can help you instead of how you can help listeners, and that is what is the current challenge that you're facing now that, you can share with them, and they can start looking around at their own networks and go, oh, well, I know somebody who could help them answer that question, or I could introduce them to so-and-so, or I could, you know, share what they're doing with blankety-blank. So what's that challenge that you're facing now, and how can listeners help you? Yeah, I think um, that's that's a really good question. I appreciate you kind of flipping that. Um, um, I think the biggest thing for us is always – there's a ton of things that we can ask for help from the users, but the biggest thing is to is to use the application and to give us feedback on whether you like it, um, you know, what the things you do like or don't like, um, you know, and the things that can make your experience that much better on cruising. And so I think that's the biggest thing that we, because we're very much so a data 
oriented company. So we like to get feedback from the consumer because that's who we're, we're um, actually serving. Um, our biggest pillar is service. And so truly we want to be able to make sure that, you know, whoever's taking a cruise and ride um, feels very comfortable, um, whether it's the functionality application or the actual people in the car. And so that's the biggest kind of ask that we have is to use the application, not necessarily to, uh, you know, take the take a ride or take a transaction and do it fully through. We would love for just you to play around with the application. Let us know your thoughts. Um, send it back to us on the feedback um, tab, and we can actually note that down on our technology roadmap, and then hopefully we can get that, you know, hammered out in, in something that we can, you know, utilize for uh, ways to affect people's lives in the future. Um, that's the biggest, I think, feedback that we would like from, from our users and individuals that are currently listening. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm I'm going to make a statement right now um, to all of our listeners, and it came from observing multiple interactions this past week in the social channels. Here's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing that there's a wide gamut of how people give feedback, and so the request that I'm going to make to everyone who's listening today is think about how you're giving your feedback in a way that's going to help propel the, the, the behavior and the actions and the results that you want forward. Uh, I'm noticing too many times because social is instant and people have become reactive that instead of mm-hmm. taking a second and contemplating and thinking and, and coming to a solid conclusion, they just have a knee-jerk reaction. And I'm going to hold my hand up and say there have been times I've done it too. We're all human. But, but my request for everyone who's listening to Breakthrough Radio, uh, whether it's today live or, or to the archive and you're hearing it, you know, and it's weeks later, is ask yourself, is the feedback you're giving going to really propel the result that you want to see come from it? Um, I think that that's something that we can all do as individuals as well as a collective that's going to allow us to really – uh, affect a positive change in the world instead of just a bitch and gripe session. So I want to thank you so much, Gordon, for coming on and sharing what you guys are doing with cruising, what your your vision for everything um, for this travel app is, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the feedback that you get when people play with it or actually use it, and that helps to improve the experience for everybody who's involved. So thank you so much okay. for coming on Breakthrough Radio today. Thank you. God bless, and and, uh, thank you so much. You bet. Now, because your feedback is so important to all of us here on Breakthrough Radio, the entire team, our intention has always been to bring you guests each week that expand your knowledge and inspire your actions to grow your business. And to accomplish that, it benefits all of us to hear what you've liked, what you haven't liked, topics you're enjoying, which ones you want to learn more about. And I get it that people don't tend to like to have that conversation around a hashtag anymore. We noticed that change in behavior a couple of years ago. That's why we started giving you an email address where you can send us that um, and we can have a really nice conversation. So that email is thebreakthroughspecialist at gmail.com. Again, that's the breakthrough specialist at gmail.com. And I want to remind you, our brain download question is fun as well as important. The intention is to remind you to ask yourself, how am I making my choices and my decisions? Well, the interesting thing with tech challenges is now I'm going to go back after the show's off and I'm going to uh, upload and edit out what you did here if you listen to live from Stuart 
I'm going to encourage you to come back and listen to what he intended to share with everybody today. So let me go take care of that wonderful tech challenge that happened live during our show. And to remind you, tune in live every Monday at 12 Eastern, 11 Central. This is Michelle Price with Breakthrough Radio. We're delivering you the best business minds each Monday live. I am coming to you from the third coast of Houston, Texas, where we work with you a business down the street or around the world, telling your dynamic story, attracting your ideal customers. Talk with you next Monday.